0: It's 7.07 in the Twin Cities. Esme Murphy with you until 9 o'clock. Well, we are going to be talking about a very important issue this half hour, and that is affordable housing. We've all seen these homeless camps that have popped up uh, around the Twin Cities. And both cities, uh, St. Paul and Minneapolis, are struggling to adopt plans to provide more affordable housing uh, so that people can really live, live the kind of lives that we'd like to have everyone live here in Minnesota. Karen Allen is a St. Paul resident and volunteer for Neighbors for More Neighbors and 4 MN. And she is joining us right now. And St. Paul also has a 2040 comprehensive plan. Karen, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks so much for having me. All right. Well, tell us about the St. Paul plan. And, you know, I know that, that in, in Minneapolis, one of the things they've been talking about is allowing changing zoning so that you can have more triplexes, Fourplexes, that kind of thing. Is St. Is Paul sort of in a similar mode there?
2: Yes, absolutely. So one thing that St. Paul really focused on was neighborhood nodes, which is a really cool um, concept where areas that have strong transportation and already are seeing an increase in growth and density and population are going to be exactly ripe for the type of increased um, duplexes, triplexes, quadplexes, and other small Multifamily, um, dwellings that our neighborhoods would all benefit from.
0: All right. And this is something that's happening to a certain degree organically. I, I know, like, in, in neighborhoods, um, you know, it's, you know, by some of the, uh, trains, the, the new, um, light rails that have come up. Yeah. You've got, you've exactly. got all these apartments and uh, just popping up organically. But is the city going to try and do something to encourage that?
2: Yeah, so St. Paul wants to support um, the investment that's already going on privately and publicly in these great locations like the light rail um, along University, there's the bus rapid transit on Snelling, and there's a lot of intersections that already are seeing that type of growth, um, and St. Paul is planning on building on that and supporting that
3: type of future.
0: All right, and, and have you seen it because and I, I've spent a little bit more time sort of in the Bloomington area you when you've got like right by the light rail. I feel like every time I go down there, I see like a new apartment building going up, but but some of those apartment buildings are very expensive.
2: Yeah, so along university and along the green line in St. Paul, there's um, been some really great affordable developments. There's one at Victoria and University that provides affordable housing for um, teenagers and young people experiencing um, housing tr- issues. There's also been um, building for senior citizens looking for affordable long-term care options along that same transit route. And so St. Paul's looking to provide great housing options for all types of people, young, old, immigrant, longtime resident. Um, And we're seeing that organically and St. Paul is embracing it.
0: All right. Uh, Let me me ask you, though, about uh, the housing for teens, because I think most of us would would assume that especially somebody under 18 would would be living with a family member, hopefully. But but tell us about that, because I hadn't heard about that.
2: Yeah, I don't have any specific connection with that project except that it was um, recently just finished. It's called Brownstones. It's at um, Victoria, and they're uh, attempting to provide really great services for young people who are experiencing um, housing issues, which is a real issue in our in all of our communities, where young people maybe have to you know move outside of their family situation wow. for for whatever reason. But I don't have any personal knowledge of those oh,
0: projects. But, but what's the name of it? Because I'd like to look into that it's a little bit more. It's
2: called Brownstone, and Brownstone, it's at, okay. um University and Victoria.
0: Got it. Okay. And then, how about uh, the senior housing? Because this is something that that, that is really a, an important issue. You know, affordable senior housing. And I know that more seniors. I, I think there's a trend, certainly in Minneapolis, of empty nesters and people actually deciding that they want to live downtown uh, in, in their re- retirement years. Is yeah. that something that you're? But obviously. Again, a lot of these things are expensive. Is that something that you're seeing in St. Paul too?
2: Yeah. So one of St. Paul's top priorities um, in the 2040 plan is aging in community. So providing great, affordable, community-connected, vibrant living places for seniors who maybe are not interested in living in their same big family home that they've had for decades, but still want to be in that same community, close to the shops and the restaurants and the, the theaters that they love.
0: Right. Well, and, and, and that, that's something I, I think that, 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 we're seeing a trend in, you know, completely. In terms of, um, you know, the residential areas, uh, cause this is something that's been very controversial in Minneapolis, is, is the notion of having more fourplexes and more diverse housing or, or to allow an existing home to be converted into a duplex or even a triplex. Is that something that St. Paul's looking at as well?
2: Yes, it is a thing that St. Paul is considering and, you know, I think people definitely find the the wording scary, triplex, quadplex. Um, but if you drive down many of our neighborhoods in St. Paul, there's perfectly organic looking duplexes, triplexes, quadplexes that were built in 1910 or 1915 that have good density, lovely places to live right in those same neighborhoods that all of us want to live in. So St. Paul wants to support that, promote it, and re-legalize it. Some of it you know, was able to be built 100 years ago, and just with the changes in zoning that have happened decade after decade, those living places we wouldn't be able to even build again. And so part of it's almost looking back to the historic way of doing things to allow better flexibility as, as people... Living situations changes.
0: All right, we're chatting with Karen Allen. She's a Saint Paul resident and a volunteer with Neighbors for More Neighbors and for MN. And is this, I guess, the thing that has people, I think, nervous is is a fair assessment. Is the issue of more density, and for some people, that, that that's that's something that they they welcome and, and think could you know add to their neighborhood and their community, but other people are nervous about that. Yeah,
2: we hear what, that all what, the
0: time. Yeah, and what, what do you, what do you say? I mean, what, what is obviously you're somebody that's looking at the at the affordable housing issue and talking about density. What do you tell people, and what are some of the concerns or misconceptions you feel about the issue of density?
2: Yeah, to me, one of the one of the really big benefits of density, and um, and historically, actually, both our cities, I think, are not near even the maximum population they had um, decades ago, and so we haven't surpassed yet where our city has been in the past, but but if we think about density, what we're thinking about is people living in our cities, which is um, shopping at our stores, um, eating at our restaurants, paying taxes, and supporting really vibrant um, growth and city services that all of us really want to take advantage of. St. Paul has a bit of a um, funding issue when you consider how many nonprofits exist in St. Paul, so hospitals, churches, universities, schools, and so the tax base really is how many people live in this awesome place. So if we are able to provide stable, affordable housing, we're really increasing the tax base and we're increasing opportunity for people to live here and contribute to our neighborhood. Um, but change is super slow. So there's no, there's not going to be a wave of all these houses turning into, you know, overcrowded or, or overly dense areas. Um, and that was one of St. Paul's thoughts was to focus on nodes that feel really organic to current residents.
0: Right. And, and what, what, is, what do you think is the biggest misconception about the, the whole issue of density and, and, and making sort of a denser housing stock?
2: Um, I think people are afraid of rising costs, for one thing. A lot of really dense cities have rising costs. Whereas what we're planning on, and what you know economists what economists would say, is that if you build enough housing supply to keep up the demand, then we'll actually keep prices in line. And so that's one of our goals. Is by building more access, more housing units, we'll be able to keep housing prices down
0: right, but you know it, you know I, I do feel though that in some areas, especially in downtown Minneapolis, which is really you know a, a thriving, bustling community, you've got an awful lot of very expensive condos and, and apartments that that are really pricey yes, I mean
2: and anything when you build it brand new is expensive. That's for sure. And so, you know, the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago, but <laughs> yeah. the second best time is today. And yeah. so, if we're looking not, you know, not just for this year, but if we're looking 20 years out, St. Paul in 2040, we have to start building that housing now so that in 20 years, we have an even better supply of affordable housing.
0: Right. We're chatting with, uh, Karen Allen, she's a St. Paul resident and volunteers with Neighbors for More Neighbors. We have to take a quick break, but I'd like to talk about keeping families and the trend of families deciding not to go to the suburbs anymore and and to stay in the cities. It's something that's happening across the country, and obviously that's something that that groups like uh, Neighbors for Neighbors are hoping to promote as well. So keep it here. News Radio 830 WCCO. It is seven twenty in the evening here on News Talk eight three zero. Chatting with Karen Allen, she's a Saint Paul resident and volunteers with Neighbors for More Neighbors. Uh, I want to ask you about keeping families in the city. How is Neighbors for Neighbors uh, for, for More Neighbors promoting that, or how is Saint Paul trying to keep families in the city?
2: Um. You know, it's great for people to have options is really what our stance is and what I think St. Paul is is promoting is that, you know, some people move to the suburbs because they love that lifestyle, but people are also living more and more in in the city because they like the shorter commutes, they like the tighter-knit communities, and... Um, St. Paul's just trying to balance all the different housing needs of all our different, all of all our different families.
0: Right. Well, and I think for a lot of younger people too, I mean, I, I know a lot of people in their 20s who don't have a car. You know, just, it's not because they, they couldn't, you know, afford one, but they just don't want a car. They like to be able to bike places and walk places. And I think that's a trend that, that certainly we're seeing in, in many cities, including St. Paul, right?
2: Yeah, St. Paul is really promoting a strong transportation network. You know, whether it's people that you know could afford a car but would rather not have the hassle, or people that can't afford a car in their current situation, um, St. Paul's seen that reducing the the vehicles that are on the road and the miles traveled improves health outcomes for communities, improves um, neighborhood sort of vibrancy, and uh, is better, especially for families, if the, if you want to be able to take your you know, your kid on the bus, that should be an absolutely easy option for people, and, and St. Paul's working towards that.
0: Right. Um, in terms of um, promoting uh, neighbors for uh, more neighbors, what, what how can people get involved, and, and what, what kinds of, you know, events do you, is your organization have and is the city uh, sponsoring so that people can be part of this discussion?
2: So um, Neighbors More Neighbors originally started out in Minneapolis, and they are still very strong in Minneapolis. The easiest thing to do would probably be to just Google them. They have a, a web presence. Um, they're out at a lot of public fairs like the Open Streets Minneapolis type events. And um, the St. Paul branch is uh, not even officially started. You're talking to one of the early organizers. We're, we're attempting to have our first meeting at the end of the month. Um, one, of the, one of the strategic visions of uh, Neighbors from our Neighbors is that any community that wants to have a, a similar organization really builds it from within. Because ideas and solutions and challenges in Minneapolis don't apply to St. Paul all the time and vice versa. So there's a group of us in St. Paul who are um, looking to organize and hear from all the different constituents of people that live in St. Paul, work in St. Paul, would like to live or work in St. Paul um, and
0: we don't even necessarily
2: have a website yet, but you are welcome to uh, look at Neighbors from our neighbors in Minneapolis
0: and they'll put you in yeah. contact with us. You know, and you, you raised an interesting point here. From your perspective, what are some of the differences that, that might work in Minneapolis but not in St. Paul?
2: you know a lot of it comes down to just geography uh, the way our cities are laid out um the different neighborhood configurations you know we're really fortunate we have the little mekong market we have the rondo neighborhood um, minneapolis has um you know other awesome diverse neighborhoods but the the challenges that apply are are just different sometimes. And additionally, no one likes sort of a one-size-fits-all solution. Nobody feels that's a good fit for them. Um, For example, St. Paul is really looking at how can we tie ourselves into the river better, whereas Minneapolis, the river runs right through part of it. And so it's just simple differences that may seem almost um, uh, superficial at first, but as you're looking, you realize that, yeah, it really changes policy.
0: Yeah. You know, one of the things that, that, that was certainly at the fore in the Minneapolis debate over the 24, their 2040 plan was the concern going back to density was that a denser, you know, more, more triplexes or, you know, duplexes, that it would actually negatively affect property values. Are you hearing that concern? And, and what, what's your response to that?
2: We haven't heard a huge concern about that in St. Paul. I think people are more concerned about the rise in housing costs. Um, and so, I yeah, I, I hope that everyone that has their concerns would, you know, reach out to their local city council member and make comments on that because it's something we do have to think about.
0: Right. Because, I mean, it's, you know, it just it just was part of the debate. Um, and then the, I know that there was some evidence suggested in other cities that that hasn't happened uh, and that, that, you know, the neighborhoods can remain as vital. And you mentioned that, that you know, historically, when you drive around St. Paul, you, you're, you're seeing duplexes that have been there for years and things have gone really well. Yes. All right. Well, um anyway, so so you're suggesting people go to the neighbors uh for more neighbors website and you guys don't have a separate one yet for St. Paul. But nope, there, yep. But is there information about how to reach people who who are starting up things in St. Paul?
2: Um just the contact um like the contact information page would be the best place to reach out. Um they're also on Facebook, they're on Twitter, um and and uh Yeah, that's how that's probably the best way to reach out.
0: Okay, well, listen, uh, Karen Allen from uh, Volunteers, Volunteer with Neighbors for More Neighbors, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. All right, and this debate certainly will continue. All right, folks, Esme Murphy with you until 9 o'clock. We have a lot more going on here on this edition of Saturday Night with Esme, and we'll be chatting here in the next half hour with Michael Roventime. He is uh, the MSP chapter social media breakfast and how local co- companies look at when it comes to their social media footprints. Uh, later this month, an event will take place to discuss what to expect in 2019 for business, how you can get involved, uh, and then in uh, we're also going to be talking with Erica Rivers uh, with the Minnesota State Parks and Trails. She's going to be talking about the candlelight events this month. These are really cool. We've shot them and taken pictures of them uh, for WCCO TV and these are really, really pretty if you don't know about them. And then in our 8 o'clock hour, I'll be visiting with Professor Stephen Shear of Carleton College and he's going to be talking about obviously this extraordinary shutdown of the federal government and also what to expect from the Minnesota legislature this year. Will – the new governor and the new legislature, the new democratically controlled House, will they be able to get along better? Uh, will they be able to get you know more things passed? We were talking earlier about tax policy, and the fact was that the Minnesota Legislature was not able. Well, they were able to pass a tax conformity bill, but then the governor vetoed it because of some problems. Will it be a smoother operation uh, in St. Paul? this coming year. So we'll talk about all those issues with Steve Shear coming up. Uh, and also want to let you know on WCCO TV Sunday morning, uh I've got two live guests at 10:30 a.m. Uh, they are both members of Congress in uh Minnesota, the Congresswoman Betty McCollum and also Congresswoman Congressman Tom Emmer, obviously a Democrat and a Republican. We're going to talk about the shutdown And it's interesting because these two representatives easily won their re-elections. We didn't focus a lot on their re-election bids because they did win so easily and we knew they were going to win that so easily because those Democrats, those districts are heavily Democratic and in Tom Emmer's case, heavily Republican. But they both influential positions within their party. So we'll talk to them about their views of the government shutdown and do they feel or agree with the president that this shutdown could in fact last months – even years is what the president said yesterday. So a lot to talk about there. But first we need to take a break and we'll give you some weather and then when we come back, we'll talk about a new social networking uh, event where you can go and find out how to up your social media skills and how it could help you in business. networking and social media it is part of our reality in this day and age and there is an organization that can help you with that it is called the social media breakfast minneapolis st paul chapter i had not heard about this organization and i am fascinated to have uh, one of its founders or co-organizers michael roventine uh, joining us right now michael thank you so much for coming on My pleasure, Desmond. All right. Tell us about what is your organization? Well
1: uh, it, simply we are, uh, connecting people and ideas and we tend to do it over coffee and bacon. Uh, we choose a friday. I, I like,
0: and bacon's your, your mascot according to this sheet? It, 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 people have
1: considered it such, yes. <laughs> uh, we, our, our events always have some kind of bacon tie-in and it's just sort of become sort of a calling card over the years. Uh, but we've been doing this, uh, for almost ten, over ten years now since 2008. Uh, we have a speaker in every month. Uh, we try to keep the, uh, the barrier for costs down quite low. Our tickets are only $15, and uh, we meet uh, somewhere in the Twin Cities, usually in the north loop of Minneapolis lately, and uh, we have a speaker or a panel on a different social topic. We have some networking. We have some bacon, and um, <laughs> we we explore the issues that way.
0: All right. Uh, Michael Roventine is our guest. Uh, he is with the Social Media Breakfast Minneapolis-St. Paul chapter. Are there chapters all over the place for this organization? There it are.
1: It, That's it, really it, cool. It, it, it's sort of a loose collective, but uh, there were it started in Boston in two thousand and seven uh, and started springing up all over the country. and there are to this day there are probably about thirty chapters nationwide and a few in Canada.
0: Okay, And when is your next event?
1: Our next event is the 25th of January, 8 to 10 in the morning in Minneapolis.
0: All right. And and anybody can come. It's just $15. Oh, absolutely. For the, and and uh-huh. what are some of the topics that, that you've covered in the past uh, that you might have a speaker to talk about?
1: Oh, sure. Um, so as I mentioned, we either have a, a single speaker or a panel usually, um, and we have talked about everything um, from uh, sort of increasing your uh, conversions, um, which is a rather dry technical uh, topic, to more friendly things like uh, budget-friendly video marketing or um, social media, uh, making the case for social media resources in a larger organization, or uh, exploring tips that nonprofits can use, for example.
0: Okay. And when you talk about conversions, is that getting more people to find you through social media? Correct. Okay. And tell us about that because that's, that's a big deal, isn't it? It is, actually.
1: Um, the speaker we had for that month um, went through uh, a series of um, case studies and sort of examples of how to um increase the, what they call lead funnels. So uh, our speaker was uh, Dave Meyer that month, and um, he talked about what uh, is roughly considered an inbound marketing strategy, so driving traffic to your site, um, getting people to make the right decisions once they're there, and tracking them along the way.
0: And I would imagine that, that and how, how many how many people turn up for each of your events? We have about an average of 100, 120 people a month. Wow, okay. Because I, I, I imagine this is really an essential part of being in business in this day and age.
1: It is, uh, increasingly so. This is uh, part of the reason our topic for January is uh, social media trends, because we have discovered that through the years, um, really actionable, um, paying attention to social media trends in a, in a way that uh, is actionable and um, uh takes into account what other uh, companies are doing um, can really affect uh, your bottom line no matter what organization or what type of uh, business you're in.
0: Are there some um, issues that, that really sort of people are, are most curious about or sort of wonder the most about or, or that you get more, more questions about than others?
1: Um, that's a very good question. Uh, we tend to get a, Pretty good range. We have a very eclectic uh, group of attendees and members um, that are in different uh, industries across um, town here. Um, most of the time, it's it's how can they, uh, you know, stay current, use industry trends, use best practices, and um, just not look foolish.
0: Not, <laughs> but well, l- let me ask you. But stay current. I mean, because this is this is an evolving world, you know, it's changing uh-huh. so rapidly. I mean that's 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 a tall order. I mean you've got people who are, are struggling to do that, you know, all the time. Um, is that something that that that, you know, people have questions about?
1: Oh, absolutely. And it's it, I mean in, in some cases just the connectivity um is a first step in in staying current. Uh, One of the trends we're going to be covering in January is actually um, that uh, this could be the year of the social CEO, um, of having the CEO and the head of your uh, company more connected, more involved on social media. Uh, having a presence on LinkedIn, for example, things like that are not only contributing to day-to-day um, employee satisfaction, but it, it's increasing communication between employees and and upper management, and it's, uh, for job seekers, a very, very important thing. Start, people are starting to consider that when they look at a new company, how connected, how um, connected and 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 dedicated is the leadership.
0: Right. Uh, one of your future topics though is something that people might not think of. Uh that is organic farming. Tell us about <laughs> so that I think that that's that that's fascinating
1: actually yes that was that was actually one of our previous topics okay. but um, it, it is up there among the sort of eclectic things that that we covered we actually did a panel for that um, at, at one of the buildings in the state fairgrounds off off season uh, so that was really an interesting one and and you know what we do is we tend to focus on different industries um, in addition to just the technologies themselves because you never know what another company is doing or another organization is doing um, that will have some bearing to what your Doing so uh, because this is such an ever-changing field. Um, learning by example has proven to be an excellent way to uh, to teach people and to uh, share knowledge.
0: All right, uh, we're, we're uh, talking with Michael Roventine. He is with the Social Media Breakfast Minneapolis-St. Paul chapter, uh, and they monthly breakfasts uh, that you can go to. anybody can go to. Fifteen dollars, you get the breakfast, you get the speakers. Uh, for, for instance, in the organic farming event I, I imagine that that some of it had to do with you know farming is, is you know obviously a, a very difficult profession and something that, that's you know there's so many factors in terms of weather and you know, all, all the kinds of uh, issues you've got to deal with. I assume that some of that is connecting organic farmers through social media to find out what other people are doing yes it, it that's certainly or or what's what's working or what's not working <laughs> exactly exactly uh
1: there was a lot of discussion i remember on um how to connect such, uh, it, it, as, as popular, uh, a topic as it is, it's, it's still fairly niche in terms of the, uh, presence on, online and on social media. So there was a lot of conversation about how to connect the dots between potential customers who are interested in things like organic farming and farmers markets and sustainable living with those, um, providers and those, and those, uh, farmers.
0: How can people find you if they're you know listening to this and saying, God, this that sounds like kinda of something that'd be really kinda of cool? I'd like to go and check that out.
1: Absolutely. The uh, best place is our website, SMBMsp.org. So that stands for social media breakfast, Minneapolis, St. Paul. You could search for those uh, for SMB MSP on uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, what have you and, and find us as well.
0: Right. But you also um have podcasts. And and, yes. and, and do you actually stream your events, live stream them. When we can, uh, when we
1: absolutely pay. do. And and uh, recently, we've been also streaming them um, on uh, Facebook Live as well.
0: Right. And in terms of you know how this is going, as you said that um, there's obviously a lot of interest. You're getting well, over a hundred people at many of these events. Has the interest grown over the past few years?
1: um it's been fairly consistent from our point of view in terms of numbers but the types of uh things that people are interested in interested in and the types of uh positions of our attendees um have really changed throughout the years we started as i mentioned back in 2008 and we had a lot of people who had inherited um social media roles uh, not officially but they were the younger person in the organization for example and they were uh taking on more and more of the social roles, in addition to their other um, stated position. Now, um, nowadays we have people with social in their title, and um, representing, you know, many of the of the big names in uh, Fortune 500 companies in town, down to uh, one or two person uh, smaller mom and pop shops or startups. So uh, their needs vary quite a bit. So we try to keep our topics. Uh, broad yet, as I mentioned, actionable and uh, sort of practical advice, Uh, we often bring in um, other Organizations and uh, representatives from local agencies to go over uh, social media case studies that have worked or not worked. Uh, we do that a couple times a year, and those are always very, very popular.
0: All right. And do you actually also discuss the fact that that you know you mentioned that that people now have this as part of their title because that's that's what they are in charge of the social media for their particular organization. And, and this is certainly in in our business in in the news business. It's one of the growing fields. Like we may have had some cuts in other areas, but it's growing in terms of like they're adding more jobs on the social media platforms and on on, on websites. You know, because so many people access news stories online now. Is that something that you ever talk about? Is the kinds of jobs that are out there and and the advances that are happening there? Because if, if you're good at this, you probably find a job pretty quickly.
1: You, you could. It depends on the market. It depends on your skills, of course, but, but it is certainly a growing area and being more savvy, uh, in this it, it, industry is, is a key certainly. Maybe not the key, but it is a key. Uh, so yes, we talk about that quite a bit. Uh, an important component to each of our meetings is a uh, uh, networking period. And a lot of people uh, throughout the years have, have started careers, uh, changed careers um, through uh, attending these events and meeting employers or uh, becoming to the point where wow. they can hire uh, themselves. So we're, we have lots of success, success stories and we love hearing that.
0: Right. And, and Bacon really is your mascot?
1: <laughs> we actually have a bacon sponsor so you're a uh, bacon you know, sponsor we have a, a bacon sponsor uh that that provides i'll, I'll give them a shout out a uh, stanley's northeast Barroom brings a, uh, a a big container of, of freshly cooked bacon to our events every month wow so it's important to us
0: that that sounds awesome all right <laughs> well um let me give the website again it's smbmsp.org and uh it's the S- so-
1: I'm sorry, if I correct you, it's S-M-B-M-S-P. Oh, I'm sorry, yeah,
0: I I can't read this evening, no I guess, dot uh, org, <laughs> and it's the Social Media Breakfast Minneapolis St. Paul chapter. Uh, Michael Roventine, thank you so much for joining us, and it sounds like a really cool event, and there's bacon. Yeah, and there's bacon. And, and there's, there's bacon, bacon. I so mean, much. how can you go wrong, and they even have a bacon sponsor, I love it. Um, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Good night. All right, folks. Uh, I like that. A bacon sponsor. Uh, All right, folks. Esme Murphy with you until 9 o'clock. Coming up in just a few minutes, we're going to chat with Erica Rivers from the Minnesota State Parks and Trails Director. She's going to talk about candlelight events at the parks. These are really special events. And Erica will talk about this truly Minnesota tradition and how you can get involved So that is coming up on News Talk 830. Keep it right here, folks. It is 748 in the Twin Cities. Esme Murphy with you until 9 o'clock. Coming up in our 8 o'clock hour, we'll visit with Professor Stephen Shear of Carleton College. But right now, we want to talk with Erica Rivers uh, with the Minnesota State Parks. And she's actually the Minnesota State Parks and Trails Director. Uh, joining us right now to talk about candlelight events. Uh, Erica, thank you so much for coming on. My pleasure. Great to be here. Okay. Well, tell us about, for people who haven't heard about these events, tell us about them.
3: Oh, they are so magical. Um, a candlelight events. we have about 30 of them going on across the state here this winter. And um, what we do is we light up about one to two miles of uh, hiking trail through our state parks um, or our state trails. And uh, we light them up with luminaries, either um, candles or other kinds of lighting. And um, people just go walking around in the crisp, cool evening air under the stars. And um, it's just a magical Minnesota experience.
0: Wow. Okay. And how long has this been going on? This is like a tradition that's been going on for some time, right?
3: It it definitely has become a tradition in Minnesota State Parks and Trails. We've been doing it for um, about a decade at at several of our parks at this point, Um, and it's just expanded um, all over the state. Um, over time. The biggest one we do um, just happens on New Year's Eve between 4 and 8 o'clock at Fort Snelling State Park, actually. That one, we usually see upwards of 3,000 people. (laughs) Wow. That one. But we have them all over the state now, big and small parks uh, all over. You can either snowshoe or just hike. Um, Sometimes some of the parks rent some of the equipment for either skiing or snowshoeing. Otherwise, uh, you know, we can just throw on a nice comfortable pair of boots and, and head on out and walk.
0: Wow. Okay. And you've got another big one coming up at, um, Lake Maria State Park, which is gorgeous up in Monticello. Tell us about that.
3: Yes. Um, that one is coming up on February 2nd. So, uh, at about, uh, well, I guess it's almost a month away. Um, and, uh, they'll have luminaries lit on the, on the park trails there too. It's a pretty easy drive from the Twin Cities metropolitan area. So, um, you know, we welcome folks to come up to that. We actually have another one that night, a little closer on the east side of the Twin Cities at Afton State Park as well.
0: Well, that's another beautiful state, and it's, the Minnesota yeah. State Parks are so great. Now, you do do you need to get um, you have to get admission to get into the parks, right? Do you need a sticker?
3: Yes, that's correct. Um, so, uh, daily permit is seven dollars, and annual permit is thirty-five. Buy that annual permit now, and you can enjoy Minnesota State Parks all year round.
0: All right, and that—that's that, so that would be good through the entire year.
3: Yes, okay. Yep. We run our um, state park permits the annuals on a annual basis, so you can um, when, whenever you buy it, say February, it will go for a full twelve months.
0: Okay, and yeah. uh, the candle invite the events though are actually free. You just need to get that one day permit, which is seven dollars, right, to to get into the yes. park. But, but the correct. events are yeah. actually free. All right, yep. And the
3: other thing that's nice about those candlelight events is oftentimes at the end we typically have, you know, a nice little bonfire campfire going at the end at the visitor center. Sometimes there are refreshments. You can always bring your own snacks, of course, as well.
0: Right. And is it um, – is the pass – can you buy the pass – let's say you decide, spur of the moment, to go to the event on February mm-hmm. 2nd at Lake Maria State Park in Monticello. Uh, can you just buy the pass right there or do you have to go online and buy the pass first?
3: You can, uh, and the candlelight events there are um, always staffed, and so you can buy the, par- the pass right when you get there, um, but you can also buy them online um, if you per- to prefer to do it that way. Sometimes it's a little easier to buy them online um, because the, the events are kind of popular, um, so you can actually buy it online, put it on your dashboard and the, uh, of the vehicle, and then just drive right through the right. entrance gate.
0: And, and, you know, I see here, I've got like a little uh, information sheet in front of me here, and... You've got some very reasonable rental fees here for for snowshoes um, and skis and and boots and poles. That's
3: right. Um, A lot of our state parks do offer rental gear, not only in the winter for winter sports, but also in the summertime as well. So um, if you don't have your own snowshoes and want to give it a try, some of these uh, candlelight opportunities are wonderful opportunities
0: to do that. Right. And um, another one that's coming up – on February 16th, Whitewater State Park in Altura.
3: That's right. That's another beautiful um, state park. We've also got one um, uh, Jan- January 12th, next weekend, up at Itasca. Folks are heading up in northern Minnesota. Of course, Itasca is a, a beautiful park. And then very southern, southwestern part of the state, down by Laverne, we have a, a Park called Blue Mounds State Park, which actually has a bison herd in it too. Oh
0: wow! I've a never, you know, I've never event been there. What's the name of that state park?
3: That one is uh, Blue Mounds State Park. We have okay. actually two bison herds now in the Minnesota State Parks. One at Blue Mounds um, down by Laverne, and the other one at Minneopa State Park near Mankato.
0: Wow. Okay, and, and yeah. uh, that that would be really cool because you can see the bison as you, uh,
3: yeah, illuminated by, by the luminaries. <laughs> Probably a little earlier in the evening before the sun sets to see those big critters though. So right. They're, they're pretty dark and hard to see in the in the uh, in the evening.
0: And the list, I mean really the events are are just um I mean you've got how many of these total do you do every year?
3: This year it looks like we're gonna have thirty of them throughout the state and um a lot of them are in state parks. We do have a few that I think that are happening um, on state trails. I don't have that list in front of me right now. Um, but some of those uh, are happening throughout the state as well, um, and you can always go on the Minnesota DNR website. I'm on dnr.gov, and we have a wonderful calendar of events on that website, um, and you can see everything that's going on all over the state.
0: Right, and but you have also, you know, events at um, uh, Tasca State Park, um, mm-hmm. uh, everywhere, or music under the pines. Uh, that yeah. that sounds amazing. Is that a concert? Obviously,
3: yep. That one's a concert. Um, So uh, Minnesota State Parks has a really um, fantastic uh, naturalist program Um, throughout the state of Minnesota. We have uh, naturalists working in our state parks, and they offer programs um, which are, you know, once you get into the park with your um, your daily or annual pass, uh, those are free to the public. There are no costs. Some of our things like our Snowshoe making workshops, for example, those will have just a material to be associated with them. Um, and and but, so yeah, you actually offer... make
0: the snowshoes? Yeah, yes,
3: you can look those up on the website, too. There wow. are several of those going on where you can actually make your own snowshoes as well. Then uh, our naturalists do really creative, fun things with um, bird feeders and, and uh, making bird feeders and those kind of things um, this time of year as well, helping our little feathered friends out. Of- Um, And so there's just all kinds of uh, really wonderful opportunities within Minnesota State Parks um, to connect with nature and to, um, you know, learn some new things about Minnesota's uh, outdoor heritage. It's pretty wonderful.
0: I got to ask you about the centennial event at Whitewater State Park on January 26th, the Ghost Camp by Candlelight.
3: Yes, that one sounds like fun, too, doesn't it? (laughs) Yes! What is that? Um, I actually don't know all that much about that one. But, um, again, we have a really creative naturalist down at Whitewater State Park who does amazing programming. Um, She's got an after-school program down there that she runs and and, uh, just lots of really creative naturalist programs that are down there. a really strong friends group that we work with down at Whitewater State Park as well Mm -hmm. to offer a variety of programs. Another another
0: um, cool one at at the Whitewater State Park, Lovebirds Candlelight Owl Prowl.
3: Uh, that yes, sounds that very one,
0: cool. Is that, one on, okay. is that one on Valentine's Day? I'm wondering Just a couple days afterward, is. yes. Uh-huh, uh-huh, anyway, uh-huh. that sounds great. Well, listen, thank you so much for joining us and check it out here. Uh, these are parts of the State Parks Candlelight events. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you. All right, folks. Uh, you are listening to News Talk 830. Esme Murphy with you until 9 o'clock. Coming up, we'll talk with Professor Stephen Shear about the government shutdown. How long will it last?